Bibles, turn to Genesis 18. This is Father's Day, amen? You know, I was, I'm grateful to have two boys living here on earth, produced four grandkids for us, and then I got two girls in heaven giving Jesus fit. And uh, I, I realize that the Lord now took those girls because I don't know how to raise girls. Uh, I can tell you right now, I'd be hard on you, or I'd be, let you do everything you need, wanted to do, and then that would ruin you. So the Lord Jesus took that decision or took that out of my hands, and, and he's taking care of it. And, 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 and thank God, in the environment of perfection, you know, they, he won't have to deal with all that other stuff. In Genesis 18, we're going to talk to you along the subject, God's idea of a great man. Today, being Father's Day, I want you to listen to this verse, Genesis 18, 19. I have singled him out that he will direct his sons and daughters and their families to keep the way of the Lord and do what's right. And the just, then I will do what's right and just, and then I will do for him all that I've promised. He's speaking to Abraham, but Abraham was a man, right? And so what God's doing is calling man and calling men out. And he's speaking to us uh, in light of an example and a model that we should be able to give to our family. I, I don't guess I gave my kids the best model in the world, but it was the best that I could do while I went through where I was at. You know, they've been, my kids, <clears throat> uh, we was talking about this the other night. My kids were sort of on drugs coming up. They were drugged to church whether they wanted to come or not. They, and I didn't ask them whether or not they wanted to come to church. It just was a known fact. We're going to church. And uh, so it's one of those things when we look at it, I hope that you understand that God is singling men out. He's singling us to direct our sons, direct our daughters, to lead them and to teach them and disciple them. That's the man's job. It's not the lady's job. That's the man's job in the house. And so often we men have given it over to our wives, but it should be our job. You know, when you're looking throughout Scripture, you see bad examples of fathers everywhere. There's bad dads. Uh, you just turn and you see it. And, and you see all these terrible things going on. But when we look to God and we look to his word, we know that the ideal man is a man that's following a good example, giving a good example. And that example is an example God gives in the word of God. We're living in a day where we need a good role model. Wives and potential ladies looking for husbands, they, they're longing to see men that'll take a stand and be godly and that don't mind sharing their, their love and their commitment for Jesus. You see, it seems that men have forgotten that. We've gotten off path with that, and uh, God, I believe, in these days are calling us back. You say, Mike, you don't understand. I've blown it. And, and I don't believe that I can ever be what God wants me to be. Listen, you want to listen to that wrong voice? Go ahead. But I'm telling you, Peter had blown it about as bad as anybody could have blown it, and it wasn't long God was using Peter. And God will use you if you let him. And he will take your life and make it worthwhile for him. You know, it was Chuck Swindoll who wrote a book entitled Growing Strong in Family Life. 
And he called us back and encouraged us to remember when men were true men and acted like men. He, he called us to remember when it was men who boxed and wrestled and bragged about how much they could bench press. It was men who made lifelong commitments and treated women like ladies and modeled masculinity and security and stability. Look, your children and my grandchildren, they're looking for men to stand up and not be wimps and not be individuals that, that can't stand in the gap for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, men today have just forgotten what it means to be real men. You know, you may think putting a, and, and, and I'm not taking away whatever. Hey, Denzel asked me, are you going to the other side of the stage so you're afraid you won't get shot with that bow and arrow? Well, I just felt like going to that side. But real men are not just men who can kill the biggest buck. Real men are not the one that catch the biggest fish. Real men are the one not that can, that can shoot scratch or under uh, scratch golf. Real men are men who have a heart and a hunger and a love for Jesus. The fact of it is, today we're facing an enemy, and the enemy is winning. And I'm praying that at Solid Rock and that as we come and, and we face this time of renewal and revival, that we will take back what he's taken from us. You say, well, what are men facing? Well, I'm glad you asked that because the first thing men are facing as far as an enemy is the fact of pride. I've never seen a day in which we see here today that men are prideful. I mean, we're dripping with pride. And some of you say, well, that's a good thing. Not necessarily. Because you see, when you look at the Scripture, Proverbs 8, 13 says, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. And that is why God says, I hate pride. I hate arrogance. I hate corruption. I hate perverted speech. Now, that's God. But yet men will stand up and beat their chest and brag. And, look. You're not supposed to be a wimp, okay? And you can be a man without being dripping with pride. Some of you don't even know what pride is. Well, I, I wrote down a few things. I want to read it to you. How we can know if we're eat up with pride. Pride refuses to listen. It always interrupts others. Pride likes to talk about itself all the time. Pride has an intense desire to be noticed. Pride is not thankful. Pride cannot be corrected. Pride does not like to follow instructions. Pride likes to brag in front of others of its own accomplishments. Hey, man, look here what I've done. God, people don't really care what you've done. You know that? People want to know what Jesus is doing through you. you know, be careful that we're not just promoting us. Because that'll get you in great, great difficulty. Pride likes to criticize and try to make itself look better by putting other people down. That, that's, that's what pride does. It criticizes. God says, I hate pride. You and I, as men, there are a lot of things I'm sure if you're like me, you've blown it. You've, you've done some dumb junk. And you're not proud of it. And it's not necessarily something you're going to stand up and tell everybody. 
But the worst thing that could be done is for you to realize that you've blown it and that you won't let God use you. You continue in that same rut, and Satan's going to take advantage of that, and he'll drag you back into the same activity. Muhammad Ali was one of my lifelong boxers and fighters. He was on an airplane once, and, and he was standing in the middle of an aisle, and he was just talking and laughing and entertaining everybody. And the stewardess came to him and said, Mr. Ali, you need to take a seat. He said, and fasten your seatbelt because the plane is about to take off. Muhammad looked at him and said, honey, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She looked back at him and said, yeah, and Superman don't need no airplane either. So sit down and buckle up. Some of you think you're Superman. Some of you think you got it all worked out. Man, I don't need God. Well, hope you don't fall. You know what I believe has got men stirred up? That they'll come and pray two and a half hours and, a, and it is hot. Not trying to discourage you. It's because of what we see going on around us. We feel like we're losing touch. And I don't know why it is, but when God's people get in trouble, <laughs> they start paying attention. And so I hope and pray that you and I will pay attention to the enemy of pride. Second of all is the enemy of prayerlessness. And we can all stand up and say, yeah, we need to pray. But are you praying? You see, prayerlessness is the first cousin to pride. Basically, we're saying, I don't need to call on the Lord. I got it. Father, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Oh, well, take care of COVID-19, big boy. Take care of the economy crashing, feller. You mean, y'all don't see of what's going on here? See, some of you have been able to still stay in your pride. You're still being, and I'm not saying necessarily you, but the, the world is still in that jerk-minded mode. But I'm telling you, what God lifts up in all of us is not pride and prayerlessness, but humility. It's realizing you ain't got all this figured out. You know, I, I'm an early bird for the most part. And this morning, about 5 o'clock, I was in the barn, and, uh, and I was praying and, 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 and you know, kind of going over my notes for today and stuff. And I said, Lord, I'm my worst enemy. I was listening to a, a clip that one of our young men sent, uh, the men, some of the men in the church, and I realized that... When it comes to prayer, I'm my worst enemy. I'll use every excuse possible. Why not to pray? Or that I'm too busy. Or that I've got, I've got to be at the Waffle House at 645. And, but you see, God wakes me up at 330. And I'm not talking about half asleep. I'm wide awake. And the other night, we were watching this movie. went to bed at midnight. Me and my wife, and I was up at 3.30. And, and I'm saying, God, this is either a curse or an opportunity that I have no excuse. And I take that opportunity to pray. 
Now, does that mean I'm this spiritual man? Look, look. Mike Franklin is just as big a jerk as everybody, every man ever walked in his flesh. And there are times that I have thought in myself, I was my worst enemy until finally God began to break me and show me that if I didn't listen to him, I was going to end up in a sewer of trash because he's after you and I. You see, prayer is the essential link in the chain of event that leads to revival. Did you know that it's a fact that we can pray and revival may not come? But we'll never experience revival unless we're praying. I've never seen revival come anywhere unless revival comes. The church today is dying on its feet because it's not living on its knees. Now, let me ask you, men. We can sit and talk about prayer all day long, but are you praying? Are you spending time? You say, well, what does all that mean? I'm talking about spending time just you and Jesus alone. You see, one of the main relationships or, or key characteristics that you know Jesus is that you have a desire to have a relationship with him. But yet so many men do not. James chapter 4 tells us you want what you don't have. You scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous for what others have and you can't possess it. So fight and quarrel to take it away from them. And yet the reason you don't have what you want is you don't ask God for it. You have not because you have asked not. It's called prayer. <laughs> Communicating with God. Verse 3 says, even when you do ask... And don't get it, your motive was wrong. You want only what gives you pleasure. You see, Jesus wants you guys more than ever. But the way he gets us is not us in charge, but he's in charge. And he wants to use you and I. Well, thirdly, you see, we do have an enemy that most of us face in pride and prayerlessness, but the third is our priorities. James 4, 8 says, draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you hypocrites. You say, what's he talking about? He's talking about, are you and I seeking God's face? You see, truly, revival will not come to your heart or anyone else if you're not seeking God's face. You say, what does that mean? That means your hunger is wanting to know and be in the atmosphere and the fellowship of Jesus more than you are wanting something uh, like a spiritual Santa Claus that you're asking for. It's wanting to hang out with him. You see, sometimes our prayer is always, gimme, 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 gimme. But sometimes you just need to say, you know what, Lord? That's just you and I talk. Let's you and I commune. Because I tell you what, <laughs> if you think for a moment that you're going to be able to sit there and you've asked Jesus to come into your prayer life, all of a sudden he's going to start revealing stuff that you don't need to be doing. And it's going to get real. Well, priorities 
are definitely important. And you and I need to make sure we're seeking God's face. You know, there's three questions that I always ask myself if I want to know if my priorities are right. One is, on what activity do I spend most of my time? Now, guys, I know you got to work. And, and I believe it's godly to work, don't you? We work by the what? Sweat of our brows. And some of you say, well, then, preacher, your job's not work. Because I know you don't sweat. Well, sometimes I do. I'll go down there and don't turn the air on just so I can tell you that I sweat when I'm studying. But the fact of it is, what? If you were to do your timesheet, if you were to take your time together and look at the hours in a given week, how many hours or what would you have to say you're spending most of your time at? Number two, when we, what do you spend the bulk of your money on? Hmm? You know, maybe you need to do an evaluation of your checkbook. Thirdly, what do you focus most of your thoughts? What's on your mind when you get up in the morning? You know, some of you, it's the day or your job or whatever. And then we wonder why our thoughts are not spiritual. Because we're not putting our mind on spiritual things. And then fourthly, the enemy that most of you and I face is called presumption. You see, God's Word tells us to turn from our wicked ways. You say, what's wicked? It's evil. It's those things that are sinful. You see, Proverbs 28, 13 says, people who cover over their sins will not prosper. I, I guarantee you that you've prayed for prosperity at some point in time. You've been on your knees, especially if you don't have a job. Or if you're not making enough money to cover your bills, I promise you, you've said, oh, God, please help me take care of my financial obligations. Well, if you're praying for prosperity and you're not turning from your wicked ways, forget it. Listen to Isaiah 59 too. But there's a problem. Your sins have cut you off from God. Because of your sin, he has turned away and will not listen to you anymore. You see, God's pretty serious about sin. Some people say, well, Mike, I'm saved and I know, I, I believe like you that I've been sealed. and If I've been saved, I'm secure and, and sealed under the day of redemption. But sin is a serious matter. And if you think you're going to be able to get by with it and that everything's going to just turn out wonderfully for you because you've just sort of excused it, forget it. It won't happen. Now, Mike, do you think that you're better than anybody else? No. Mike, do you deal with sin? Absolutely. And if there would be anybody in here to say, well, I don't, I'd, I'd say, well, you just committed your first one. You're a liar. So understand that when it comes to you and I, we need to be careful not to accept excuses for wrongdoing. We need to be careful not to rationalize the, our behavior of sin. We, 
really? We talk about revival, but I don't want to talk about it. I want to experience it because I've been a part of one, and I know what God can do, but he will not bring it if sin is in your life. You've got to get honest. You've got to be willing to deal with every sin in your life. In 1982, a lady named Bertha Smith, anybody ever heard of her? She was, a, she was a, far, a foreign missionary. And Bertha came to our campus because of a revival that was happening in Dothan, Alabama, and we were living in Graceville. And she got up on the stage and testified. And she said, Preacher boys, first of all, that made me mad back then anyway. And I was cocky and prideful, and I didn't want nobody telling me, preach, boy. I'd, I, well, anyway, she said, I want you to take out a piece of paper. I said, I will if I want to. And she said, and I want you to list on that piece of paper, 1 to 75. I said, well, what's that all about? And she began to explain. And she said, I want you to take that piece of paper and at the top call it your sin list. And she said, now, you should easily get there at 75. I thought, well, who am I? man, I'm in Bible school. What do you think? I? Well, I did it, and I got there at 75 fairly easily. She said, but when you get to 75, it's going to get difficult. And that's when you have to cry out to the Holy Spirit, and I promise you, you'll fill up a tablet when you open up the Word of God. And whether we're lying in our lives, if you're not living your life in line of the Word, and you bring your life in, in open scrutiny under the Word of God, oh, my goodness. We start finding out sins we didn't, have, we didn't have any idea. Some of you right now, the only sin you're worried about is the one that's called, Hebrews calls it, the sin which so what? Easily besets you. For some men, that's lust. For some men, that's greed. For some men, that's whatever. And we, we major on that. And we, we forget that there is a long list of sins that we got yet to deal with. But you got to know what they are, right? 1 John 1, 9 then says, We must confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised his son from the dead. The word confess doesn't mean I lust and go on with life. And then next day you lust again and you lust again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm greedy. Or, or I lied and then you tell lies. Continue. You know what it means? It means to acknowledge it. It means to admit it and then repent of it. To repent of it means you walk the other way next time because you have not confessed it until you've repented of it. You hear me? So don't take this stuff lightly because God doesn't. Now let me ask you something with your heads bowed and eyes closed.